All right, welcome into another Tuesday night edition of the 573 Report, something that actually might kind of become a thing. Uh, I don't really know what the basketball schedule looks like this year. It's probably going to change a lot. Sometimes they play on Tuesdays, sometimes they play on Wednesdays. This year, who knows, the NFL plays on Tuesdays, it plays on Wednesdays. So anyway, be flexible with the time. We'll let you know, certainly uh, at least early that morning, what night we're doing it on every week. But tonight is Tuesday because Missouri plays basketball at 7.15 on Wednesday night. I will be there. Mitchell Forty will uh, be resting up for a full day on Saturday, which will uh, conclude at Mizzou Arena with the bragging rights. We'll get over there. And, you know, Mitch, like I was thinking today, it feels like finally kind of a normal season. Like we <laughs> three or four weeks in a row with the Saturday football game, we've got basketball going on. We're jumping through, you know, three or four different zoom calls every Tuesday or Wednesday. It's we're busy and we haven't been busy for a long time. And it actually kind of feels like it's felt in the past. Yeah, it's a yeah, they, they kind of, you know, we had that, what, four or five month stretch of uh, very little activity. And now it's all kind of happening at once. We've got football playing every week and, you know, playing, playing well, playing, you know, having people interested. We've got basketball having people interested. And then we've got the early signing period next week. Uh, so like everything we cover is all happening at once. But that is much better than the alternative, which we experienced this summer, which was nothing happening right. ever. Yeah. Nothing, nothing happening forever. And like, you know, I, I wrote about this a little bit, but I left that uh, whatever. I don't even remember who they played the Oral Roberts game uh, in, in basketball. It was, I guess, close to a couple weeks ago now. And like I was just talking to somebody else I was was walking out with. And I said, I just want to cover something that feels like it matters again. And it feels like these things matter right now. Like, uh, look, we know it could change. And no, Missouri's not winning a national title in football and and all that. But both teams are on the verge of being ranked. They got a big commitment in football last week. Like, this is as good as it's been around here for a while. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this this Saturday, like, you know, I'm not saying go in with like expectations of, you know, winning both games or anything like that, but it, it means a lot. It's a, it's a big day. I mean, like you have the chance for two marquee wins at the very minimum. You know, you, you're watching, you know, a team, both teams that, that have momentum play for kind of something in both cases. Like, obviously, like you said, there's, you know, Mizzou isn't winning the SECs. They're not going to the college football playoff, but, you know, they're they're certainly have a chance to, you know, pull off the biggest win and many years um and yeah like you know recruiting has gotten people excited and i think you know i mean there's a good chance there'll be more news on that front i mean that's a safe bet between now and a couple weeks from now and or 10 days from now or whenever they sign so yeah it's uh it's an exciting time yeah it uh i think illinois is number nine right now they actually play duke here in about an hour when this show is over (laughs) so interesting week for illinois um this is once again the 573 report we're brought to you by 573tees.com. Check them out on the internet at that web at that web address. Go through the show page on our site. You can get 10% off. It's, what, December 8th if you order. I bet you they can get you stuff before Christmas. They've got some good stuff that, that would make a, a nice little uh, present to throw under the tree, something to throw in a stocking. Uh, you know, every, everybody is uh, proudly wearing their Missouri gear these days. So get some of that or uh, – 
support some of the the local stuff they do again it's a local business and and we've been trying to do a lot of that for our christmas shopping so i hope you guys will as well and and support the people that make this possible for us 573 t's has been on board with us all year and we appreciate everything they've done so i want to give them a shout out at the beginning of the show while you guys are here hit the like button hit subscribe give us your questions and comments we've already got quite a bit building up so I kind of want to get to it and start with what I guess is the news uh at least of tonight and David points out Mizzou is number 25 in the college football playoff rankings which they're the only rankings that matter I mean they're I think they've eight points in the AP 88 in the coaches poll they would be number 27 overall but in, in the rankings that are used to determine the only thing that counts uh Missouri enters the top 25 which let's be honest, there's zero chance anyone here thought that was happening at any point this year. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, the only reason I could think it was happening is back when, you know, there was a time when it looked like 40 teams were going to play college football sure. and that was it or whatever. But even like, then, we weren't sure Missouri would be in the top 25 of those. Oh, you're 100% right. I mean, yeah, like, you know, we this is about the time where we have to say like, we were, we were not correct about how this season was going to go as uh, Eli Drinkwitz pointed out to us on the zoom call today. And, and um, does but, yeah, every like, week. I mean, but you know, yeah. like a lot of teams say, Hey, you didn't believe in us, but I don't blame him at all for saying you guys all thought we were going to suck. I mean, yeah, yeah, I picked him three and seven. And that was honestly, that was me maybe giving a half game bump. So my subscribers would yep. like me. Yeah, I think I think we both kind of said we thought three and seven uh, was our pick, and then we thought two and eight was probably more likely than four and six. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's we we can at some point I'm sure we'll go into kind of the reasons they they did overachieve, but uh, yeah, we were not not correct there. Well, and you know, I, like in answering a, a question for the mailbag tomorrow that's going to go up tomorrow, I kind of looked up and somebody asked, you know, why have they been better and. I mean, I, I did look at the schedule, and I was a little mm. stunned to discover that the teams they've beaten are a combined 12 and 35. And now, when I say that, I also want to say, who cares? Like, it doesn't matter mm. who you beat. Like, if you finish 6-4 and four this year, say you lose to Georgia, beat Mississippi State, the teams you beat might end up with a combined record of 15 and 43 or something. So what? I mean, you can it, – it, it just proves, again, we've said this 100 times, even in the SEC – all you have to do to be pretty good is beat bad teams. That It's literally the only thing you have to do. Yeah, I think it kind of shows how much the, the chasm is widening between the really good teams and everyone else. Um, you know, I mean, like, yeah, that. They're, you know, they're the the Alabamas and, and Floridas and, you know, usually Georgias are, are on a, a completely different tier than most of the league right now. But also, I think, you know, now that we're on the subject, I, I think the biggest thing for me is I did not anticipate this competent of quarterback play. I mean, right. you know, we, we we didn't know who was going to be the quarterback, but I didn't expect either who it was to be the type of guy who's going to lead a game winning drive with, you know, 40 seconds left to go win a game. Um, so that's, that's a uh, shout to Connor Baselak for that. That's been impressive. And the other thing with the, the schedule that does bear pointing out, like Arkansas is going to finish three and seven. If they had a regular schedule where they played like Abilene Christian, San Jose state and central Michigan in a non-conference, that's a six and six football team. 
Kentucky's probably sure. got like a 500 record. You know, Missouri's actually maybe like an eight and four, nine and three football team with a regular non-conference. So it is a little bit skewed in, in pointing out those records. Uh, we haven't seen Bob Douglas yet, but case sh- shouts out Bob Douglas. I, I feel like, Oh, Bob's here. He's oh, he there. is here. Okay. Haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I feel like we were, we're developing like inside jokes on our shows. So we're, uh, that, yeah. that's a sign that we've, I don't know if we've made it, but we've at least got a cult following. Oh, there yeah, you go. There's I, mean, I, I, yeah. I think we're big time at this point. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Um, all right. So Georgia comes in this weekend. I, it's, I think Missouri fans are excited for this game, but it doesn't really feel to me like a big game. And I don't know if that's because the season was supposed to be over last year or because Georgia fans aren't going to view it as a big game because – Frankly, at this at this point in time, and I know it sounds weird to say, but I think it's fair to say Georgia's season is over and a failure, um, or at least a disappointment. Maybe not a failure, but a disappointment. So, I think Missouri fans are excited, but also because people can't go. I mean, SEC Nation isn't going to be here like they might otherwise be. You know, I just there's not as it's probably a, a product of the times. There's just not as much buildup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I I do think that it, you know just the the uh, lack of crowd hurts maybe more in this game than most because I think there's a very good chance that Missouri is far and away the more motivated team in this game. And, but you, you don't have kind of the same, you know, level of energy you can feed off of now. It still might not, I mean, might not matter if Georgia, you know, I, I do think it's possible that if Georgia just comes in and is disinterested and doesn't feel like playing in the cold, that, you know, this Missouri is good enough to at least keep this game close. But I think, it, you know, you a lot of times you see these type of games where, you know, it's it's a bigger deal for the team that's not used to it and they're playing at home and their, they're, you know, crowd is, is absolutely going crazy and stuff like that. That obviously won't be the case. But, uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I think it's definitely a game that's more about Georgia than about Missouri because if Georgia shows up and plays an A game, Missouri can't beat them. But if Georgia shows up and plays something less than an A game, I, I think Missouri's shown – to be good enough to beat them. And uh, this is how I really know that Missouri's having a good season is we're starting to get questions about the uh, coaches' bonuses, uh, which, uh, <laughs> you know, I, it's it's such an interesting thing that, look, they're, they're public employees or state employees. Their salaries are out there. I just always find it interesting how, how intrigued people are with what they make. But Andy Love is asking about incentive money for weeks ranked and uh, – so I actually looked this up just before we started this show. The only bonus he gets for a ranking is if they are ranked at the end of the year in the top 25. And I, people got used to that. Like Barry Odom had a clause in his contract where he was get, he got $25,000 every time they were in the top 25. But it was real simple why he got that. He was making like $2.3 million. So they they loaded his contract with incentives. With Drinkwitz, he's guaranteed $4 million up front if they go 0-12 and never score a point. So you're going to back off the incentives a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure there's, you know, others like SEC Coach of the Year is a, yeah. a possibility. I, I'm sure that's a, a bonus in there. But, yeah, I uh, yeah, it's, there's a slightly different incentive structure from uh, the previous he, contract. He does get 100000 for one of those SEC Group of Six Bowl games or the Citrus Bowl, which certainly seems likely <laughs> for Missouri. He also – and this huh? is the interesting escalator. If they either win eight games or win a bowl game – and now – to win eight games this year, they have to win a bowl game. So it would yeah. kick in either way. But basically, 
if they go to uh, you know the Gator Bowl and play Maryland or the the Outback Bowl and play Indiana or whatever if they win that game he gets an automatic one-year extension with all six years then getting an extra hundred thousand dollars so his base salary would go from four million to 4.1 million so in a lot of cases we say coaches and players might not be super invested in bowl game Eli Drinkwood is going to be super invested if Missouri goes to a bowl game. Very true. Yeah, he's he's always talked about bowl games, too. He's, he's brought it up from day one. He talks about that as part of the goal, win a bowl game. He's never really specified or cared which bowl game it is. They just want to win a bowl game. So If, if really, my contract actually, was written I mean, like that way, I wouldn't care which one it is either. <laughs> Yeah, that's not a bad way. I mean, like the great for good for him. Like that's that's a that's a good way to give yourself a shot at you know a hundred thousand dollars, like it you know on repeat for years to come. What, because what do you think there's Eli a lot Drink- of bad bowl games out there. What do you think Eli Drinkwitz had to drink the night the ruling came out that there were no qualifications for bowl games this year? He was probably happy. He I'm, probably had a diet Mountain Dew. hundred percent <laughs> popping a bottle that night and being like. We don't even have to win a game. We just go win the poinsettia bowl, and I just got a hundred thousand dollar raise for six years, man. That's a whew, sweet deal. Um, all right, so I'm gonna we're gonna start rolling through some of the questions. I'm gonna try to concentrate on the football stuff first, and we'll kind of break this up. We'll do football stuff. We're gonna play you an interview with Daniel Parker Jr., and then we'll move to basketball kind of afterwards because we're super organized and do a lot of uh, uh, preparation beforehand. So that's how I've decided to lay out this rundown, but. Uh, Sir Mufflebuns wants to know if Ennis Rakestraw was on a blue blood, do you think he would get more hype for only being a freshman and, and playing well? Um, I mean, look, I'm not going to pretend to have gone through the entire SEC, but I've got to imagine he's at least like on their all freshman team that they do, right? Yeah, yeah, I think he is. I, I, I looked this up like a week or two ago, and not just SEC, but nationally, and he's in like the top. 10 or 15 at least nationally as far as cornerbacks true freshman snap played but it's hard to it's kind of hard to you know gauge because cornerbacks not a, a position that racks up a ton of snaps um i mean would he get more he'd get a little more attention maybe playing a higher visibility games you know maybe playing some more like cbs games or whatever but good cornerbacks rarely are getting like a ton of hype. I mean, if you don't get your name called, you're doing a pretty good job. So, and he's done a pretty good job. Well, and the, I forget who it was, but I actually heard something. They were talking about some guy in the NFL, basically as a cornerback, he had no stats because literally just people didn't throw at him. And so mm-hmm. as a corner, the only way you really get noticed beyond your team or your little area is interceptions. It's kind of like a defensive end can be a great player, but if he doesn't have a bunch of sacks, people don't talk about him. And, and I think mm-hmm. like, I, I think corners the same way, but I mean, he's a guy that, I mean, he'll be Missouri's number one corner this week with, with Jarvis Ware out, but it's actually a position maybe more than any other with him, with Ish Burdine, with uh, JC Carlise playing some, like, think they've got and at this point I've got to think where comes back next year I mean I, I don't think he's had a year that that really probably leads him to go pro so they're getting their top four guys back they got to feel pretty good about that spot for the future yeah for sure I mean even if for some reason where didn't come back but I again no reason to think he wouldn't at this point but he I mean you're talking about three guys who are going to be technically freshmen again next year who have all played a ton of snaps I mean Carly's hasn't played a ton yet but clearly the staff has some confidence in him so definitely a uh, a position you feel pretty good about moving forward 
Yeah, uh, David asked, did Missouri overachieve or have they just underachieved the last couple of years? I mean, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I think. Mean, uh, right. Yeah, I, I, I think I think they've absolutely overachieved this year. Um, and and I think, you know, the way you know for sure is they've won every close game. Right. Like you, you, uh, you know, if you do that, you're you're probably winning. I mean, you're you know, the average team probably loses half of their games that are decided by X points or less or whatever. Um, and so by winning every I think they're three and oh or four and oh in games decided by 10 points or less. That's, you know, definitely overachieving. Um, I think they underachieved some for sure last season and, and probably even the year before. Um, but I think even, I mean, obviously if they hadn't underachieved in those years, you know, wouldn't have had the coaching change and all that, but regardless of what they had done the year before, I still think I, I would still be surprised, would have been surprised if, if, you know, looking at everything uh, that we looked at with this roster, I would have p- picked them like much better than three and 10 or three and seven based off of, you know, past or anything like that. I just, I didn't think there was that much talent on this roster. Well, and you're talking about the close games and, and I know a lot of the people watching this are subscribers and probably read at least some of the stuff we write. Uh, they may just mostly subscribe for the message board. I don't know, but um, I, I wrote earlier this week that this it's becoming not a small sample size that in games that Eli Drinkwitz coaches where the spread is a touchdown or less in either direction, he is now seven and zero straight up. Like, I, I mean, that's, that's starting to become a thing. And that to me is a how you perform in close games is directly attributable to how good a job your coach is doing. Um, you know, oh, because yeah. I think most teams in the SEC start every year with, you know, two or three games that you really should win and probably two or three games that you almost definitely should lose. And they've got six games that could go either way. And, these games that could go either way, Eli Drinkwitz is basically perfect in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's huge, and that that was an issue for for the last staff. Obviously, yep. was was losing, you know, kind of the swing type games, and, and especially kind of ones on the last player at the end of games. No, yeah, no question. Uh, which, uh, to be fair, almost happened last week, but didn't happen yep. um, because yep. Connor Bazelak has no pulse and just went. And because Arkansas, for some reason, decided that the best approach would be not only to let Missouri complete passes, but to let them complete them all to the sidelines and not have to use timeouts. Yeah. It was a uh, it was a curious strategy, I guess. Uh, Scott Clark says the momentum in football is snowballing for recruiting. This is providing drink stuff to sell to recruits, especially St. Louis kids. I mean, I think I think to any kids, but this is. This is really where Missouri, I think, has failed in the last six years. They never managed to turn momentum into momentum on the field into sustained momentum or into momentum on the recruiting trail. Um, and now, to be fair, that was because the last six years, really, they haven't sustained a lot of success on the field. Every time they took a step forward, they'd take a step back. But I even am amazed that when Missouri won the Big 12 North in 2007 and 2008, they actually turned that into something on the recruiting trail, right? They got, I mean, their 2010 class was the best class ever uh, as far as rankings go. They won 10 games fairly regularly over those next three or four years, which shows you they got good recruits. But then those 2013 and 2014 title game appearances, and even going back before that, the move to the SEC turned into nothing. I mean, the 2012, 13, and 14 recruiting classes were like, 
they were basically barren wastelands outside of you know the every now and then star player, but um, they they turned that into nothing. And so Eli Drinkwitz, yeah, six and four is a really nice season, but it only really counts if you turn it into something, which he seems to be doing. Yeah, I mean, first of all, you know he he. They had a lot of momentum going for himself on the recruiting trail before he coached a game, which was right. impressive to me. Um, now, obviously, you know, it could have, you know, gone the other way where like, oh, this guy's, a, you know, he's he, he talks a big game. But then his team went out and stunk, even if that wasn't his fault, because, you know, they were, you know, coming off of a coaching change uh, that could have hurt them on the recruiting trail. I don't know. It's hard to play that hypothetical. But I mean, they built some, you know, momentum before kind of the season even got going on the recruiting trail. And, and it's, you know, it seems to still be going. I mean, they just picked up a top 150 kid out of St. Louis and Isaac Thompson. Uh, last week. So, yeah, I mean, you know, he's 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 absolutely doing things like and, and it's early. It, you know, there's the time, this is, you know, still something we'll, we'll continue to look at. But he's doing things on the recruiting trail that that have not been done in a long time slash ever. almost ever at Missouri. I, I, I would say ever. I mean, Gary Pinkle had two top 25 classes. Um, the rankings have evolved a little bit over the years. I I tend to think they're a little more accurate now than they've been in the past. If you, if you look at some things, but no, I think it's fair to say that the last 365 days, and this is one year to the day of uh, when the news broke that Drinkwitz was being hired, it wasn't announced till a couple days after that, but this is one year to the day. I mean, it's been the the best recruiting they've had, I think uh, since we've been doing this, uh, Greg Shackelford says, I know with the pandemic, things are crazy, but the number of players leaving is interesting. Is it just playing time, but Trey Williams was getting time? Any thoughts? And I, for those who – I think most of you watching probably know this, but, uh, you know, Drinkwitz did say today – he didn't use the phrase opt out, but he said Trey Williams came to him and had a conversation about his opportunities outside of Mizzou football. Like, I guess we take that as opting out, right? I guess so. I mean, he, he basically said he's yeah not part of the team right now. He wasn't included on the depth chart. Uh, very surprising to me, um, as yeah. Greg points out, he had been playing quite a bit. Um, he's had played in every game, game this game season. Last weekend. Yeah, he played fine last week. It, 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 it caught us off guard for sure. Um, and it is, I don't know, it, like I don't, I still don't think you need to press the alarm bell. Like, first of all, you, I never am going to try to guess what like is going on with, you know, a 20 to 22 year old kid and what, what, like, I don't, it didn't make sense to me that Adam Sparks opted out right before his senior day, but like, I don't know what's going on with him. And I least, don't know what's it, going on with Trey Williams. Adam Sparks but, made a little sorry, more sense because he wasn't really playing. The right. weird part about so, Trey Williams is that he was starting. Yeah. So I'll just say up front, like, I don't understand what's happened. Like, we don't know the story there. Um, and, and I know there's been a lot of departures from Missouri, but it, I still just think that, you know, this is a, when you bring in a new coach, these things are going to happen and B, you know, they, with this opt out ability and likely in ability to instantly transfer. And even if that doesn't get passed, I assume Trey Williams is going to graduate because he's been here for, I think five years now. Like, you know, some kids are going to, you know, think the grass is greener and, and maybe take advantage of that. I, don't, I think it's just something you're going to kind of continue to see in increasing numbers everywhere. Yeah. I mean, doing a show like this is no fun if we can't speculate. So there's <laughs> two, there's two possibilities here to me is it, Trey, look, Trey's a Columbia kid and yeah, he spent most of, I, I don't know if he spent his entire life, but he played all his high school years in Columbia and then played all his college years in Columbia. So maybe it's possible. He just goes, Hey, I got one more year. 
I can transfer somewhere. Like maybe I can go somewhere outside of Columbia. And if I'm going to do that, probably got to get started on getting it done before signing day. You know, like we'll yeah. make sure people have room. So that's a po- maybe he transfers somewhere else. That's a possibility. I don't know. He's always seemed like a, a kid that liked Mizzou and was happy and all that. Talked about representing his hometown, but who knows? So that's one possibility. And the other thing, and I want to be clear that I have no information that's that leads me to believe this is the case, but it is weird. And like, I'm at least going to kind of pay attention and see if there's some other story that comes out in the next couple weeks, you know, related to whether that's on the field, off the field, or somebody brought up even like, who knows, man, somebody got contact traced. If, if Trey Williams in contact tracing, he can't play the last two weeks anyway. So who knows? Yeah. Um, all kinds of things could be the case. It is a little weird, but I don't think either one of us is, it really thinks it's all that important to dig into it further than that, unless we find out there's, there's some reason to do so. Um, we've kind of said since the beginning of this year, you can't really judge what somebody else chooses to do or how. And, and I don't. I know Greg wasn't. Uh, the The question wasn't phrased that way. But yeah, it's weird. But um, you know, that's uh, that's that's this year, man. This year is weird. So. <laughs> Um, yeah. All right, so th- this was Mitchell earlier brought up. A, this is more national college football, but I want to talk about this because it was on our board. I tweeted it. Ross Dellinger tweeted it. I've seen a lot of people have suggested it. Texas A&M and o- Ohio State both had their games canceled. They should play each other Saturday just like BYU and Coastal Carolina did. So I think we can agree two things are true. They absolutely should, and they absolutely won't. Yeah, there's no chance it's happening. First of all, both of those, these leagues have, you know, have very different virus protocols, and I'm sure there would be issues there. Um, Ohio State, I don't think, can play anyone this week. I think, I, I don't know. Is it Michigan or is it Ohio State? It's Michigan issues? that can't play. Okay, well, never mind. I take that back. I thought Ohio State, I, I knew Ohio State had had issues the, the week before. But anyway, um, yeah, I just don't see the two leagues coming across and doing that uh, from a, uh, you know, a, an agreement on protocol standpoint. Also, I actually think Ohio State would have, it has more to lose in that situation because, you know, as long as you've got that zero by your name, you have a chance. So if you get, you know, I don't know, some scrap iron from the Big Ten to come play them this week, or even if they just end up 6-0, and they're going to have a pretty compelling case. And I think, I mean, you know, I, I, I think A&M's the one that really needs the the marquee win much more to have a, have a shot. Okay, can I fully admit you're right and make the counterpoint? Absolutely. Didn't, we need more argument in this show. Didn't Ryan Day spend all August and September screaming, all we want is a chance? Just yeah. put us on the field and give us a chance. We just want to play games. Here's a game, dude. Go play it. Play. I don't care. Play it in Columbus. Play it in College Station. Play it at Soldier Field. I don't care where you play it, but this is like Nebraska. We just want to play. Well, we don't want to have to stay in a hotel and play Ohio State in Wisconsin. That's so hard. You know, and, and, and also Ohio State right now is 5-0 and and ha- doesn't have another game. And by the Big Ten's rules, as of today, cannot play in the Big Ten title game. Now, look, I yeah. think the Big Ten will change that. I think the Big Ten should change that um, because it is in the Big Ten's best interest for Ohio State to do the best it can to get in a playoff. And I think Ohio State will probably win. And I also want to say, I think Ohio State would kick Texas A&M's ass. Like, I don't yeah. really think they would lose that game. 
But this whole, like, I respect BYU because they traveled across the country and had absolutely nothing to gain by playing that game. I mean, beating Coastal Carolina was not putting them in the playoff. They they, they didn't benefit, but they did it. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of not here to listen. I mean, it, it's appropriate that Ryan Day followed Urban Meyer because he whined and just complains about everything yeah. and, you know, but go play the damn game. A couple of quick things. I think one, first of all, like I agree. I wish it would happen. I just think it's, it's just, there's, it's so unlikely that like, it's just, it's way out of the realm of possibility. Like I, I think if any, but, if they do why? play another game, it why would is be it more because the two likely than BYU and coastal Carolina. I think because the, the, I think the two leagues won't agree on the protocols, I think is the main, the main reason. Um, also that both schools are, I think, and especially Ohio state are too proud to say we need to, we need this. Um, but also I think I, I do to your point about the big 10 championship though. Um, I don't know if that matters. I mean, and, and it's, it's an interesting catch 22 because the, the big 10, I think was the, the main league that was really pounding for years. Like a championship should mean something right. winning your league should mean something. And, um, you, you know, like Ohio state's going to play a, a game that weekend, regardless, everyone in the league is playing as long as they can, uh, you know, like they'd play some other right, crossover division for, opponent from the other division, like Iowa or something like that. Um, so like does six and O with a league title game win over Northwestern mean more than six and O with a win over Iowa? Like, but it's not a title. It probably shouldn't. But I don't know. Maybe it does. I don't know. I, I mean, like, it's just who knows at this point. This is so uncharted territory. Like, I don't know if they need that to get in or what carries more weight and yeah. all that. I mean, you brought up the best point earlier today, which is that Ohio State should get to play Nebraska again. That is absolutely because Minnesota's in, in jeopardy. I saw that. Okay. Yeah. So that would that that would be that would be excellent. Yeah. That would be perfect. Yeah. Um, Travis is asking about Jamal Brooks. Uh Dropped a couple interceptions, but otherwise looked good, was in the right spots, and had a best, big special teams tackle. And, look, I, th I think we both felt this way after that game. I, you aren't – we don't sit there and root for the team or whatever, but, like, I'm glad they won for Jamal Brooks' sake um, because he was put in a tough spot. He made a couple plays, and then I don't even blame him for the fourth and one. Like, K.J. Jefferson's a big dude and ran out of a tackle. That happens. Uh, the interception, I, I know, yes, he should have batted the ball down. And, and, yes, he still should have caught it. But, like, every instinct you have as a football player is the ball is coming at me. I'm going to catch it. And he dropped it, and it took a bounce that it takes one out of 100 times. And I'm glad that wasn't the way that ended for his sake. And I kind of wish we would have gotten to talk to him either after the game or on Wednesday or on Tuesday today because – I think he probably would have been pretty good about it. He tweeted out after the game that he loved Harrison <laughs> Mevis. That's right. Yeah. No, I would have loved to have talked to him. First of all, he's just, he's actually, I mean, you know, in my interactions with him, he's a really good interview. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think he would have taken it. Well, I thought it was his, his day was just a fascinating microcosm of the thing as a whole, because like, you know, the only reason he's in the game is because, you know, Nick Bolton gets gets ejected. Missouri's defense has been getting, you know, torched with Chad Bailey. And so they bring in Jamal Brooks. He clearly does some things right yeah. and puts himself in position to make plays. Even earlier on that drive, he jumped in front of a pass that he probably should have intercepted. But it's just like every, you know, bad bounce goes against him. And it, all of a sudden, you know, that's going to be like the one thing he's 
remembered for is like making the play in the, you know, a new one of the, the games that Missouri fans will reel off as, you know, they're part of their tortured history. And right. then he, he's like you know, Andrew he Baggett, who was great. And people only remember the one kick he missed. Yeah, exactly. Except that even different where Jamal Brooks has never really played except right. for this game. Yeah. So, yeah, I uh, I was happy for his sake that, uh, that that he doesn't have to be remembered as the GOAT there. Yeah, and as far as him being a starter next year, like, first he would have to come back. Um, yeah, which he didn't walk on Saturday. So okay. he uh, seems to be, uh, you know, planning to do that. Okay, and that kind of ties into Greg Shackelford's question about do we know who else is coming back? Grant McKinnis said he's coming back. Brooks, it sounds like. Kobe Whiteside, it kind of sounds like, but Drinkwood said today, I'm going to let Kobe make his announcement when he wants to. And hey, wasn't there one or two other seniors that chose not to? Yeah, so to the go? guys that the guys that didn't walk were Brooks, uh, McKinnis, Whiteside, and Micah Wilson. Okay. Um, and then there, we've talked to a few guys since then who have basically said we're undecided. Mm-hmm. Um, Drinkwitz is putting the public full court press on Mike Maietti to come back to center, which is a little bit kind of funny but uh we'll see if that works i don't know i did enjoy um, connor basilak yeah. said today and like you guys got to understand connor basilak is not a guy who provides a lot in interviews but he said today well yeah i want him to come back like we're winning games and he didn't get to do that very much at rucker so if he wants to win games he should come back uh you know yeah, there, there's right. probably not much harm in taking a shot at rutgers you're probably not gonna see them <laughs> down the road so Follow word wants to know, would it make sense to keep Daniel Parker as an offensive lineman and not a tight end because of his blocking prowess? Uh, Like, I mean, I think he's probably effective because he's getting out and blocking linebackers, defensive ends, chipping defensive ends and blocking linebackers. He would have to add, what, 40 pounds to play guard and and go block a, a defensive lineman? Yeah, and learn, you know, a new position and a new scheme. I mean, like, is it... Theoretically, does he have the physical ability to be a very good offensive lineman? Absolutely. But if a guy's as effective as he is as a blocker right now and already kind of fragile, I mean, I I don't mean that as a knock on him at all, but he's missed games every year, at least the past two. Um, Like, why, you know, go and make him change his body and then, you know, learn a new position and change all this stuff instead of, I mean, like, you can, you know, they're... Almost every NFL team has a primary blocking tight end. Like that's that's a spot that teams have use for, and that he could have a future playing, even if he's not, you know, a, a prolific receiver or anything like that. So that seems to me to be a natural uh, time to say that we talked to Daniel Parker Jr. earlier today. So we're going to let you guys listen to that. It's about seven eight minutes. Uh, so listen to our interview with Daniel Parker, and then we'll come back and talk a little Missouri basketball. That one play. Can you kind of just walk us through what happened that sequence? Uh, I knew my job was to go block the alley player and I went and blocked him. And once he was done, I was like, okay, I might as well go to the next one. And uh, I went to the next guy. I didn't really have a good leverage on him. So I kind of slipped by him and then I seen another guy. So I just hit him. And then number seven felt bold enough to come test me at the end. And we all saw what happened there. So that didn't work out for him. Jack Sobel. Well, that was definitely my question, but I'll ask you a different one. Uh, you know, Daniel, how how did you feel in your first game back after a, a while out, out with injury? Uh, I mean, I didn't feel like I didn't skip a beat. You know, I, I still took pride in learn, learning the playbook, making sure I was still in shape. So when I come back, everything just felt normal. Mitch? 
Daniel, uh, you know, we, we've seen Tyler Beatty come in and make a few big plays the last couple of games, especially this past week. I'm curious what goes into him just kind of staying ready and, and being able to take advantage of, you know, kind of limited touches, but still hit so many big plays. Yeah, see, he's one of the more, to me, he's one of the more scary backs in the league because he can catch you at any given moment and you can't tell when it's coming. Like Larry, Larry's going to take maybe 30 carry, 25, 30 carries a game. He might spark one, but Beatty, out of like maybe 12 carries, he might have five or six explosive plays. It's just you don't know when they're going to happen. So he's one of those players where you always have to always have to key him when he's on the field and always have to keep an eye on him. If I could ask a quick follow-up to that, you know, obviously one of those was that touchdown run. The, I think it was his first carry when you all were down 14 in the fourth quarter. How big was that play just for the momentum in that game? Uh, it was a great run, a great momentum shift. Uh, if no one really noticed, but Michael Maedi picked up a key block on a bumper pool, which actually sparked Beatty, Beatty's uh, run down the sideline. So it was actually a key play that changed the momentum of the game. Dave? Daniel, besides just getting a win, do you feel like anything else is kind of on the line or at stake in this Georgia game that you guys are thinking about or, or kind of on your mind? Uh, not really. Our goal is just to go one and zero this week. That's all our main focus is. The game's no different than any other one in my book. Do you, do you talk about bowl game and, and trying to enhance kind of who you guys are as a team? Is that is that part of it? Uh, I mean, for me, a, a bowl game right now is not even in my picture. I'm looking at Georgia. They're the only person, the only game that I, I'm playing right now that could be my last game. I don't know what happens. So, like you know, you never know. You just got to take one game at a time. Gabe. Daniel, when you, you go back, not just the last three weeks, but but obviously everything you've gone through earlier in the year, have you spent any time reflecting on just what you've gone through to be on the football field here in the, in the last week? I mean, I thank God every morning, you know, every day for blessing me with the ability to be able to still step on the field. Even if I couldn't step on the field, I would still thank God for just giving me the ability to see each and every day. But uh, it's definitely a blessing. I don't really sit back and dwell on it. Sometimes I forget that these things happen because life goes on and moves so fast. But one thing I always I will say is that it has changed my perspective of the game and life. So that's I'm actually glad that I had to go through these things because it's, uh, it slowed me down and it helped me get a better look on life. Ben? Daniel, I mean, with the 1-0 mentality in mind, is it – I mean, is it at all difficult for you guys when you see a, a, a blue blood like a Georgia or Florida across the way to to have that focus and not try to view it as a statement game or what have you? Uh, I mean, I feel like kind of early in the season, we kind of didn't have that one game at a time mentality. We were kind of, you know, just looking at the season as a as a broad schedule. But as time went on, we started developing that one and one mentality and dedicating ourselves to focusing on directly on that opponent and not speaking on anybody else until that game is over with. So it's definitely, as you guys can clearly see, has changed the culture and, and made it to where, you know, wins are a lot more accessible. Bennett. Hey, Daniel. Um, I want to ask about Damon Hazelton. Uh, I'm just curious sort of how much you've gotten to know him this season and if it was sort of felt like a, you know, big moment for him to, have the game that he had, especially in the fourth quarter on Saturday, and if you guys sort of got to celebrate with him about that at all? Yeah, so I, I'm you know, I'm not big on celebrations. I'm more of a 
by myself type of guy. But I, I do know Dame, you know, pretty well. He's a great player, and that was great to see him go out there and perform like that. But one thing I will say is us as a program and as players, we know Dame and Hazleton, and we weren't surprised at all that that happened. It was just a matter of time that it did happen. So, Jack? Uh Daniel, uh, it's it looks like, it, especially at the beginning of the game, you, you were running a lot of two tight end sets with you and, and Nico on the field at the same time. How do you think you guys complement each other when you're on the field at the same time there? Uh, with Nico being more of a more of a route running tight end, and I'm more of like a, a run down, run blocking tight end, I feel like we kind of offset each other because we're both equally good at each at each thing. One of us is just better at want something specific. So what I like in a pass game, he picks it up. What he likes in the run game, I'll pick it up. And then we have players like Messiah Swinson and Logan Christopherson who can come in the game and perform just as well as us. Sweetie, go ahead. Hey, Daniel, um, just on that play where you block three guys and just, just and you mentioned that you're more of a run blocking tight end. Do you, Eli kind of mentioned earlier today, you, you kind of set the tone physically. Is, is that something you kind of try to do when, when you're blocking guys downfield and, and Kind of giving it to them? Yeah, my, my goal usually is to always, because, you know, blockers typically don't get the notoriety that maybe someone who scores a touchdown does. So my goal is always just to block someone so hard to where someone in the stands is like, wow, look at him. 82 is, hey, he's moving somebody. So that's always my goal going into the game. So if that's why usually if you see a big block from me or something, it's, I'm focused in locked on trying to do, get it done. Gabe. Daniel, coaches talked a lot about in talking to recruits, and I, and I think most coaches at Missouri have said this, but stressing, uh, you know, staying home and, and playing for the state school. Looking back three years as, as the one guy in that class who really did that, was it something that you thought about at the time? And, and maybe if, whether that's yes or no, looking back now, is that something that you take a little more pride in? I mean, yeah, I definitely do. But I'm not going to knock guys, you know, like Ronnie. Ronnie made his decision, and he's obviously – doing what he does well, but I feel like that this was just the right fit for me. And this was just the place I like to call home. Uh, I still, you know, I still love coach Odom for bringing me here. I thank him for bringing me here. And I'm just, I'm continuing to buy into coach Dream's process and continue to let him lead the way. All right. So Daniel Parker, junior Missouri tight end. And I think, uh, like, I think the highlight film at the end of this year should be led by Daniel Parker, junior, blocking three dudes the first of which sounded like a, a car wreck the second guy he knocks over and then the third guy he blocks and then body slams and in daniel's words that didn't work out too good for him yeah that was a that was an excellent quote i also liked when later he said uh you know his goal is to block so hard that a blocker gets noticed which he has successfully done multiple times throughout his career and you know on against arkansas i do miss him telling us last year every week though that he had the best hands in the sec so <laughs> I, I should have asked about that but uh you guys are watching the 573 report here on uh power mizzou our youtube channel which hopefully you have liked and subscribed to already and told all of your friends about and all that. Um, if not, do those things. But also make sure to go to 573tees.com. Check out all of their products. Support a local Columbia business and certainly somebody that has been very good to us and helped us out and uh, our ability to bring you guys this, this show every week and some of the different coverage. And some of that different coverage is going to come on Saturday, which... 
As we said, everything now just happens all at once. So it's Georgia at 11 a.m. on Saturday. Um, Illinois and basketball at 7 p.m. on Saturday. So basically our plan is I'm going to do – I'm going to be here uh, hanging out with you guys on the Internet like I've been doing game days starting at about 9.15 in the morning. Uh, we'll have the post-game show, which will lead directly into pregame basketball. Mitch will be at Furrow Field. He will finish riding there, hopefully find a meal – uh, Mitch, I haven't noticed what restaurants they have between Furrow Field and Mizzou Arena, but hopefully you can pick something up on the way over to the basketball game. And I don't know, we should wrap up about uh, midnight on Saturday night. So I guess we just can take six days off after that. We pack one whole one whole week into one day. That'd be nice. That'd be fine with me. Uh, unfortunately, I think the schedule disagrees as we've got like more basketball and the signing day and all that the next week. Uh, Saturday will be a, a big one, though. We'll, we'll worry about that first. Yeah. So obviously, bragging rights Saturday night. And uh, so Keegan asks, if Mizzou beats Illinois, will you consider them a legitimate SEC title contender? Um, That seems like a stretch, maybe, but maybe it shouldn't like. Have I seen anything out of the SEC that tells me that's impossible for Missouri? I mean, the the team we think is going to win, it hasn't even played. But of the teams that have played, I haven't seen any that I know are better than Missouri. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, I, I need a little more uh, intel on other teams first. Um, I, I think, I mean, I, I, I think there's absolutely reason to be optimistic and impressed with what Missouri's done this season. I'm sure. I also think like, as there is in the course of almost every basketball season, there's, there's going to be some struggles. I don't think, I mean, like I don't expect this team to just come and go like 15 and three in the SEC or anything like that. Um, but I mean, if beating Illinois would, would take another step towards kind of legitimizing and even without doing that, like I think they have to be talked about as a top four team in the SEC. Um, I, I'd be surprised. I think if they, if they, you know, just because of kind of the, the shooting limitations, I'd be surprised if they can win the league. But I think they could a top four seed is very much doable based on what I've seen so far. Right, because we've seen them do it for three games. But to win the league, you've got to do it for like 15 games. You can have a couple off nights. Exactly. It, it doesn't mean they can't do it, but we've not seen this team do it for four or five games. Now, one of the things I was actually most impressed with about the Wichita State game is they did it when the guys who had done it the first two games were off. I mean, Xavier Pinson gave him nothing on offense. And Jeremiah mm -hmm. Tillman was only out there for 18 minutes. And really, when they were building the lead, only played about 10 or 11 of those minutes. So even without those guys, go and beat. Look, this isn't a Greg Marshall, Fred Van Vliet team at Wichita. But, like, that's a solid mid-major program. They're going to win a lot of games this year. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there's still talent in that program. So, uh, you know, it's maybe a better, you know, representative of like some the bottom two or three teams in the SEC. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was encouraging because, yeah, they like you said, they, a lot of the things that we've pointed to is like those recurring issues that would get them beat in past years. You know, Jeremiah Tillman gets in foul trouble. Um, you know, they didn't shoot the ball well, both from three or from close range. Um, and, you know, they, they win by 10 points. So, and, and really it wasn't as close as 10 points. It was, they were leading by double digits for like the final 15 and a half minutes. So yeah, I, I think, I think there's absolutely reason to, uh, to be optimistic about this team, especially if they can stay healthy. I don't think I'm quite ready to say that winning the sec is, you know, really in the realm of possibility, but I also don't, obviously that's not like, you know, a disappointment if that 
that's the the goal they fall short of. Like they could still easily be a a top four team in the league and and an NCAA tournament team. And also, look, we spent the first twenty minutes talking about how wrong we were about football, so we could be wrong about this too. I mean, that's like, true. We I'm, really don't know much. I'm perfectly willing to make a living out of being wrong. That's cool. Uh, but uh, you know. Liberty, which comes to town tomorrow night, has they've already beaten two SEC teams. And, like, yeah, look, one of them was a bad SEC team in Mississippi State. But the other one, it's not like it was against a struggling, moribund, downtrodden program like Kentucky. I mean, they went out and beat a South Carolina <laughs> team that's supposed to be pretty good. You know, so yeah. um, it's it's not like they're feeding on the dregs of, of the SEC, uh, one and three over in Lexington. But um, I, tomorrow night will be an interesting test. But so far, Missouri has – Look, they've done everything you could possibly do through three games. They've got a home win, a road win, a neutral court win, a win over a ranked team, a win over a Power 5 opponent. I mean, fair to call Missouri's win over Oregon the best non-conference win the SEC has, right? Oh, by far. Yeah, I don't think it's close. Yeah. Unless, unless I mean, I don't know who was playing tonight. Uh, I think Tennessee played someone. I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, at the time, especially, I looked, and it was the only top – I think it was the only top 100 win an SEC oh, team wow. had, so – yeah, it was um, yeah big win. Um, yeah, I mean like it's interesting, you know. We talk you talk about you know Missouri got in the rankings there as well. Or sorry, got votes. Uh, yeah. It didn't get in the rankings in the the college basketball uh, AP top twenty five. And like it's tough because you know like all these you know I'm sure a lot of people use like Ken Palm and stuff like that. These metric systems they they use preseason expectations in their rankings up to a point in the season if you and it and that's fine especially in a season when which some teams still are just now playing their first games but if you actually look at resumes i i, I mean missouri's has to be like almost i would guess top 10 yeah. um now that's not to say i think they're one of the 10 best teams but that's a that's it's a heck of a start I did look the other day. I forget if it was Ken Palm or like college RPI or, or real time <laughs> RPI or something. Alabama A and M was number one in the country, so I always like when things like that happen. They're one and zero. It wasn't. It definitely wasn't Ken Palm. <laughs> yeah. Ken Palm bakes the, the the preseason rankings in for a while, but that is amazing because yeah. Alabama A and M is like dreadful. Like that's the team that Kim Anderson's. Kim Anderson's team beat them by fifty five or something like Maybe that. Maybe they've so. turned things around. Maybe that was a turning <laughs> point in their program. Uh, Stuart West brings up a, a good point that we've talked about. College basketball always has a team or two every season that benefits from having a lot of upperclassmen, and Missouri might be one of them this year. And I think it's more true this year than in the past because I think you saw in that Oregon game, and not to take away from Missouri's win because it was impressive and Missouri was the better team, but I, Oregon had new guys and they hadn't played together a lot. Missouri had. I think experience is more important in this game or in this season than it usually is. Yeah, especially early this season. And yeah. yeah, not to take anything away from that, but man, Missouri kind of, I mean, just got a great got kind the of right draw time. with when they played Oregon because not only did Oregon have like, you know, six guys who had never played a game in an Oregon jersey play in that game, they had two, you know, likely starters or at least high-level contributors out. One was a, the St. John's transfer who got eligible the next day. The other's the uh, the, the reigning Pac-12 leader in three-point percentage who hurt his hand and I think is out for like a month. So, like, I mean, those guys, you know, come back. Like, Oregon's – I think Oregon's going to be a very good team. I think they could very well win the Pac-12. So, that's awesome for Missouri. It still looks the same on a resume. It looks, you know, as good as Oregon performs. And, you know, no one's going to really remember, like, the, NC, the, the, the NCAA tournament committee is not going to look back and be like, oh, yeah, well, right. they're missing those two guys in November, you know, early December or whatever it was. Yeah, Mitchell uh, says, I hope the team doesn't look past Liberty because they could lose tomorrow real easily. They could – that's definitely a losable game. And these are the type of games that 
they really help you come tournament time because, like, if you're going to play small conferences, you want to play the better teams. But I kind of hate them because there's really no reward for playing them. I mean, if Missouri right. beats Liberty, nobody is going to bat an eye. Liberty's probably better than Wichita State, though, right? Yes, I, I think so. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've beaten two SEC teams already this season. So, yeah, they uh, and it's also it's one of those teams, too, that is – a little bit of a, a scary matchup because they just jack threes. And if they get hot, um, you know, sometimes there's not a ton you can do about that. You know, as, as Conso Martin put it today, they shoot from Marshall Henderson range, yeah, which was a great reference. I mean, Hugh Freeze uh, got him going, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, there, there's your Ole Miss Liberty strange multi-sport tie in there. But yeah, I, I think it's definitely a game they can't overlook. I did like, uh, it, I think it was Dave Matter as Conzo what most impressed him about uh, the two wins last week, and Conzo just cut him off and said, "Coaching, I like that. <laughs> see see yeah. a little personality. So maybe Drinkwitz yeah. rubbing off on him a little bit. Uh, yeah, I, I mean Conzo's always had personality, but he is certainly far from like a boastful person. So that that was a oh, yeah, out of character, yeah. which is why I liked yeah. it. Uh, Greg Shackelford says Tennessee beat Colorado fifty six to forty seven tonight. Well, that sounds like an exciting game. I'm glad I didn't see any of that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think it, I think if you can't get to 60, it shouldn't even count as a win. Uh, <laughs> you just keep you got to keep playing until someone hits 60. <laughs> yeah. Uh, continuing basketball stuff. David wants to know why the KU game was canceled. Basically, KU didn't want to have their game in Kansas City when there weren't going to be any fans there. They just pushed everything back a year, which I like. I understand Missouri fans are mad, but I, I agree. Like that's yeah. Missouri would have wanted to do the same thing, I think. Yeah, you know, name of the games to make money off of this thing. So, you uh, you want to be able to, to 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 put people in the stands and, and whatnot. Yeah. Uh. So I'm gonna put up some of these basketball comments and and just kind of acknowledge that that you guys are here with us and watching and and we certainly appreciate that. And so while we were talking about basketball, this occurred to me. I was gonna ask you like, if you're if you can only buy one stock, what are you buying? Missouri football or Missouri basketball? But then I thought about it, and I kind of look at it a different way. I, I would buy Missouri basketball for this year, but Missouri football for the long term. And that's kind of what this year is about, because Eli Drinkwitz is laying a foundation. When you look at Conzo Martin's roster in the program, like they need to be good this year. Eli Drinkwitz didn't have to be good this year, right? He just wanted to, to kind of build a base. Missouri basketball needs to be good this year. Oh, 100%. You, you did the nail on the head when you say, yeah, for Missouri football long-term, Missouri basketball this season. Because, yeah, I mean, Conzo Martin, that's what the first kind of – I mean, year one, like we've talked about a lot, you know, doesn't really count towards laying the foundation. They went all in. It sort of worked. It kind of didn't. But you had to do it. The last couple of years have been laying a foundation and we're only going to look, you know – acceptable in hindsight if they led to something better like you can point to you know say yeah injuries got us if you then take that healthy roster and do something with it mm -hmm. and you know who knows what's going to happen with seniors coming back or not coming back but it, it looks more than likely that like after this season they're, they're going to lose a lot of key pieces right. so you know you, you want to be able to you know get to the tournament, maybe do a little bit of a damage win a game, at least there in order to, you know, maybe have a lean year or two after this one. So yeah, it's, it's just two coaches at different points of their tenure where, and you know, if, if 
you know, basketball does what people think it can this year. It's, you know, doing what they kind of should be doing in year one versus year four, respectively. So kind of kind of continuing this foundation, the the house building, uh, you know, analogy, which is uh, hilarious because like, dude, I couldn't change a light switch. <laughs> so um, I can change a light bulb. I just couldn't change a light <laughs> switch. But um, so here's here's, I guess, my concern or my it's kind of back there even if this year is good and in case is talking about people coming back Conzo's been pretty upfront he doesn't really expect many if any seniors to come back right uh I mean because these guys it's different than football there are places most of these guys can go get paid and play basketball I mean in football there's no you're not gonna go play in the German league and make money I mean <laughs> I don't know maybe you are I know I know uh, Jordan Harold played a couple years ago in Mexico, so I guess it's theoretically possible, but it's much less common. So continuing kind of with the analogy, my worry is, is it a foundation or is it more, hey, we painted the front of the house and it looks real good right now, but when you open that front door next year, like it kind of looks like a hoarder might have lived here for a little bit. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is I, a weird analogy, but you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it, 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 it's built up to this year, but if it doesn't sustain for two or three years after this, it's not really right to call it a foundation. It's more like, Hey, we, we built this thing, but it isn't very strong and it's going to fall down and then right. we're going to have to build it again. And, and maybe I'm off base here and I know we're looking too far ahead, but I don't think in year five you want to be talking about building it back up. Um, I guess you're just worried about the whole term foundation. I'm not sure it's there. The foundation for this team is there. I don't know if the foundation for a program long term is there right now. That's fair. Um, Yeah. And I I think that's, you know, kind of has to do with the, you know, a lean year or two in recruiting that, you know, you don't see a lot. I have a lot to show for at this point. And I think it's going to depend very heavily on how this class that just signed, um, you know, comes in and does and how they what they can do in the transfer market. I mean, like it's especially hard to predict or project going forward basketball because teams can turn over their entire starting five in an offseason and still be kind of good. Like that's what Eric Musselman does every single year. Yeah. So, you know, if you play it right, yeah, maybe, maybe that could work. Um, but it's also risky. Um, you know, it's, and it's not really Conzo Martin's style. His t- style is to get a group like this one that he's are played together for three and four years. And, and, you know, he gets to know all of them and likes them as people and all that stuff. So it we'll see. It's uh it's very much TBD. Um, but I do think, yes, there is cause for concern because, you know, that the, I, I, I get mixed up on my years, but I guess 2019 and 2020 recruiting classes, there's not a ton to show for those right now. Right. And they do have a class coming in next year that that does look kind of like more of one of those foundation classes. So mm-hmm. if those guys are, are if their development's accelerated. Uh, but look, I, I don't want to spend a ton of time worrying about things two years down the road, <laughs> because for the first time, Missouri has a team that people are excited about. I, I mean, I, I was stunned when I saw that they're three and zero for the first time in eight years. I mean, yeah, that's it's crazy. Not it shouldn't be to hard. Win your first should, three games it should not be. A, yeah, it should not be difficult. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So let's uh, let's jump back and kind of finish it back with football because Greg Shackelford says I'm buying stock heavy into Mizzou football recruiting. That's the gold market. Get on that early. And like we talked about, I mean, yeah, right now, I mean, that Isaac Thompson commitment I think is a big deal. 
I mean, he doesn't sign for 12 months, and, and he's already jumping on board. Um, you know, Gary Pinkle used to have one or two of those guys every year. I, I remember William Franklin committed 13 months before signing day. William Moore committed almost a full year before signing day. You know, so it helps to get one of those guys on. Everything we hear is that Drinkwitz's message is resonating in the state, especially in St. Louis. And so it's kind of like we were talking about with the foundation. Okay, he's shown – I can take the other guys' players and get them to play better than he could. He's shown I can get this new coach bump in recruiting and enthusiasm and get a top 25-ish class. But now the key, if you want to be any good in this league, that can't be the exception. That now has to be the rule. And so that's his job going forward. Yeah, and and – you know, it is something he's not done before. You know, his success with Appalachian State was with another coach's players. His success so far at Missouri is largely with another coach's players. And that's certainly not to say he can't do it, but that's I think that's the challenge more often than not. You know, it's a lot harder in college football, especially at a non-elite, non-blue blood level, to, to sustain that success versus to have, you know, uh, a blip or two a year or two where you 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 know you're, you're decent and then you, you kind of regress a little bit so uh we'll see and that's not to say you know missouri can't have like a bad season or two but it's it's what we've talked about a lot you know the, it's it's trying to to win an average of eight games and then every every so often things fall right and you win 10 or 11 and, and in the sec you have to stack those top 25 classes because there are five or six programs who are they're going to get top 10 classes every year and then mm-hmm. what you're really competing against is the South Carolina's Tennessee starting to get into this category um Kentucky's you know those programs that are probably going to be between Ole Miss uh probably going to be between like 15 and 35 in any given year those are the ones that you want to be outperforming on the average um and and so you know i mean 21st in in the country right now is i think eighth in the sec something like that and that's which is actually surprising usually you'll have you would have more than eight teams in the top 20 from the sec correct so uh yeah somebody not doing his job out there i don't know gus malzahn (laughs) is recruiting for crap this year i guess i don't know so uh all right we'll finish this up kind of like we do every week just run through the SEC and like, once again, man, I'm just, I don't know what's there. Like there's, there's no, there's no there, there this week. Uh, Alabama at Arkansas, like, yeah. I think, uh, I think you're going to see a big old letdown from the Razorbacks. Yeah. I really think the SEC only schedule has, has beaten down a few teams for sure. I mean, you know, we talked about the records of some of the teams Mizzou has beaten. Like those are teams that usually, you know, like you said, they're six or seven win teams, and they're like, oh, it's not that bad. But yeah, it's the the gap is hurting people. I actually, I I I could see Arkansas scoring enough points to, especially if Felipe, Felipe Franks is back to keep this within five touchdowns. Oh, okay, which That's would fair. It, it's to say to cover the spread. De- <laughs> but I do not think it will be close. Devonte Smith will outscore Arkansas in this game. Um, probably true. Tennessee at Vanderbilt. What number is higher? Vanderbilt scholarship players, which is 45, or number of people who are watching this game? Uh, it should definitely That are not be related to players. players. It should be Vanderbilt scholarship players, but you know that Tennessee fans will show up and drove. I mean, oh, they're going to hate I don't know, watch not it show sure. up, but, 
but but yeah, they will they will hate watch and root for their coach to be fired or I don't know what they'll they'll get just get mad at the people on TV. They'll they'll get angry. The, about the funny something. thing is they want to fire the coach, but they still love the athletic director that hired him. So yeah, that is a bit of a catch twenty two there. It's a conundrum. Um, LSU of Florida things are going well in Baton Rouge, so I I expect <laughs> that to be good. Talk about the wheels falling off. Oh, oh my God. goodness. I mean, I they, saw a tweet. That they was they like don't a year have ago. wheels. The whole car is on yeah. fire. No, like a year ago. I guess it was a year ago yesterday. They they won the SEC. And now it's there are a just flaming wreckage. Uh, yeah, I think I think Florida wins by a billion. <laughs> yeah, a billion. That that seems fair. Um, somebody's asking us to put a 25 next to Mizzou. I I did the ticker before uh, before the college football playoff rankings came out. I just used the the rankings that were on ESPN or Yahoo at the time. Auburn and Mississippi State. Speaking of hate watching, everyone in Auburn rooting for Mississippi State in this game so they can fire Gus. That's and so Gus will absolutely win. It may, it probably yeah. won't even be incredibly pretty. I mean. Auburn's bad. He's, he's going to win like 17-9 or something like that. Yeah. And they're going to be so angry that he won. It's yep. going to be yep. amazing. I might just not do post game on Saturday and I might just go read our Auburn board if that happens. All <laughs> um, and the last game is Ole Miss at Texas a I mean, Ohio State at Texas A&M, right? We've established that's going to happen. Yeah, it's going to happen. And uh, I'm skipping both Mizzou events to go watch that one. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I mean, I, w- I would pick Ohio State if those two teams play. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're just fixing college football. Last one comes from recruit- recruiting coordinator Jake Bresky. Um, <laughs> rumblings on a certain... We should East clarify State. that that's not actually it, him. Right. I, I mean, we can't prove it it's could not be. him. We think it's probably not him, but... I if, do want to believe it's him. If we want to say it's him, nobody can prove that we're wrong right now. So uh, anyway, Jake B says rumblings on a certain East St. Louis wide receiver exploring the market. So uh, last night I posted on our message board that um, I had heard that Dominic Lovett from East St. Louis is likely to be kind of looking at options. I know that it was posted somewhere that I guess his – Arizona State commitment program uh, post on Instagram is down, which is, I guess, the 2020 way you'd kind of decommit without actually decommitting, right? They're, they're no longer social media official together, maybe. Um, <laughs> there you go. I, so I want to be clear when I posted that, like, I, all I posted was I hear he's looking around, right? Um, I, I understand why Missouri fans immediately jump to him already having signed with Missouri. Um, I think Missouri would definitely be in the mix. If that comes to pass, I have not seen anything official that uh, it's out there or that he has decommitted, but um, there's definitely talk of that happening. And I think Missouri would be in the mix uh, to get him now. I probably maybe some other programs, too. But the thing is, signing days, eight days away. So, uh, you know, all these decisions are are going to have to kind of happen pretty soon if they're going to happen, I would think. Yeah, he's good enough to push off till February if he has to. Someone oh, will yeah. make room for him. But Missouri, uh, yeah, I, you pretty much. Yes, absolutely. You pretty much covered it. The only thing I would add is uh, if that intrigues you, subscribe to Power Mizzou because we will certainly pass along any more we hear about him in the the run up to signing day. You'll hear about it a lot sooner on our board than you will on this uh, this show. Yeah, you heard about it almost twenty four hours ago. I I think the biggest news and all that was that I was awake to post that at ten fifty. That was stunning to me, by the way. Yeah. A huge upset. 
I actually had it ready to post a couple hours ago. I was checking with somebody if it was okay to post, and so I just happened to still be awake and hit post a couple hours later. I'm not sure I could have coherently typed at 10.15, but uh, I was watching 24. It, it caught my interest, so it kept me awake. Um, all right, so tomorrow night, I guess I'll be at basketball. Um, I don't know. Mitch will be talking to Ryan Walters, and uh, Saturday we will pack a whole month into one day. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Uh, I would just, yes, yeah, Saturday's big day. I'd hopefully, yeah, everyone watches along with you on here. A lot to talk about. I'm sure it'll be fun. So appreciate you guys watching. Once again, 573tees.com. Uh, we're going to probably be uh, – next week we'll definitely have a show. The week after that we'll have a show. We'll be maybe a little bit uh, – I don't know. We'll figure out when to have shows during the holidays. But before the holidays – Go to 573tees.com, get your Christmas gifts. Not all of them. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. They have nice T-shirts. I like T-shirts. Some of your significant others might want more than a T-shirt, though. But it's a good extra gift for Christmas. Uh, so get some of that, uh, some stocking stuffers, whatever. Help out the people who help us out. Help out your local small businesses. Help us out by hitting like and subscribe. And uh, I don't know. We'll probably talk to you tomorrow, Mitch. Sounds good. All right. Good night, everybody.